Welcome back to the Cold War. I'm I, I, I'm no uh, I'm no Scotty Burbick. Uh, no. Scotty Burbick can play guitar, man. Yeah, that was awesome. The, uh, the <sighs> thing on YouTube or Facebook, whatever it was, that was awesome. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, welcome back to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Cold War one one three. Roger that. Last week on the show, mm-hmm. um, George Marshall was laying down the law to the French about their treatment of Indochina, saying, eh, you know, whatevs, it's all, it's all good in the hood, do whatever, you know, just just try and, yeah. try and not look like complete cunts, if you don't mind, but apart from that, just, you know. And the French got the message loud and clear. Yeah. Uh, they were going to try not to be complete cunts, but still be cunts, just not complete cunts, yeah. basically. Cunty. Um, and they realised... Yeah. Cunt- <laughs> <laughs> they they realised that uh, they needed to put on a bit of a show. Right. So the Americans... So give the Americans a little bit of... Well, cover, really. So the Americans go, well, look, if people say, hey, why are you letting the French do that? They go, oh, well, look, you know, they're doing their best. Yeah. The French, That's to start. Right. That's like, the you best they too can much do. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. But in February 1947, so yeah, yeah what? No, no, I, that's what I was going to do. I was going to say now that Marshall's in it, he's in it. And so now he, he wants he wants to gather some, some more contacts some more information. Because that's what you do when you're the Secretary of State. You get information. Mm-hmm. So what did he do? So the end of February 1947, sorry, I didn't mean to mess up your flow. Uh, Marshall told Consul James O'Sullivan in Hanoi, look, try to make some contacts with Vietnamese leaders if you can. So just get in there, start establishing some dialogue, some trust, and maybe we can just try, try to get some answers of what the hell's really going on. So maybe we can more effectively advise the, the French. So who knows? So in April, Pham Nhoc, is it talk? T H A C H is that how you would pronounce it? Talk or thack? Yeah. Okay. Talk. 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 Yeah. Talk. Fam knock talk. Fam mm. knock talk. Yeah. Recently, uh, he was made a deputy minister in Ho's government. He reaches out to a few businessmen living in Thailand, and he also reaches out to Lieutenant Colonel William Law, the assistant military attaché at the UN embassy in Bangkok. Now, for my for my take, this is pretty much more the Vietnamese fishing. This, this is more hope than expectations, but they kind of, it, and it kind of works out because Marshall's having his people, uh, you know, try to reach out to the Viet Minh. So, so again, they're trying to reach out to the Americans in Bangkok. And fortunately, this does spark somewhat of a dialogue. What's a military attache, right? Um, do you want the gentle answer or the hardcore answer where they pretty much spy on the enemy's, excuse me, <laughs> enemy, uh, the other country's military capability, but the, the, basically they gather intelligence. That's always been my understanding to assess what the enemy, the other country can do militarily. Yeah. yeah. I think officially they're supposed to, they're an army officer serving with an embassy or attached as an observer to a foreign right. army, but yes, they're gathering in military intelligence usually. Yeah. So Tuck uh, had talks with this Lieutenant Colonel William Law, the assistant military attaché in Bangkok. Uh, then they sent him some questions. They're like, well, before we meet with you, you need to right. answer these questions. Is this like a dating app? Uh, it is a bit okay. like a dating app. Yeah, <laughs> they were trying to figure out they're going to swipe. They were like, "Can you send us a dick pic?" Uh, <laughs> I've never see seen you without it. Can you send us a photo without a filter on it? We don't right. want that filter on it because you know you could. Yeah, not the beer filter. Um, also, the American ambassador Edward F. Stanton, mm-hmm. not to be confused with Edward M. Stanton, right? Who was who was Edward M. Stanton? I don't remember. Secretary of War under Lincoln. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yep. Good man. This is a different one. Maybe his grandson. Who knows? A different one. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely a relative. Um, So they sent him with these questions, and in his answers, Tuck went to great lengths to assure them 
the, the Vietnamese government, the DRV, the Viet Minh, Ho Chi Minh's government, yeah. didn't have any particular plans for a social revolution. They just mm. wanted to build up yeah. the economy of their country. They wanted to give people some political freedom. They wanted to give people some economic uh, 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 upgrades to their lives. Yeah. So, look, we just don't want to starve and die of fucking <laughs> famines every, you know, six how months. Was, Is that- how was this hard to understand? Sorry. Mm. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, they, they wanted a capitalist economy, he said, oh. and they would be happy to invite foreign capital into Ooh. the country to help them with reconstruction. Right. A little bit later, he offered the U.S. business community in Thailand. Now, when I think U.S. business community in Thailand, quite honestly, I think of uh, pedophiles going right. there basically to have sex with underage children. But maybe there was more to it than that. Uh, but that I think that's the business. main reason yeah. Americans yeah. end up in Thailand. Australian Australians as well. That's why they end up in Thailand. What's the uh, main What's the main sex? reason Americans go to Scotland? Uh, haggis. Okay. All right. To eat or to fuck? What were you going to say? No, no. I'm I'm asking because I'm going to Scotland this fall, and I just didn't want to miss out on anything. Are you? Yeah. You're going to Scotland. Why are you going to Scotland? Because I haven't been before. So wanted to go to London. Wow, look at you. I we voted. You went to Europe last year. Yeah. Australia the year before that. Now you're going to yeah Scotland. Yeah. Wow, you you are living the life, man. <laughs> well, you're rolling it. Well, um. When you sell, I don't know, dick pics on, on online. If you do it right with the right filter, you can make a lot of money. But anyway, so I, we voted. I wanted to go to London, and I was uh, somehow outvoted, even though I'm paying. And now we're going to Scotland. So if there's anything you want me to pick you up, mm. I will certainly be happy to. Besides sheep, mm, yeah. Pick. Is that why you've, you've started <laughs> getting a bit of a whiskey education? So yes. you know what you're so talking about. So I know exactly. So build up a tolerance mm. and know what I'm talking about. Yeah. All you need to be able to say is <laughs> it's a brobrech moonlech nicht nicht. Okay, the new laddie, it's a brobrech moonlech nicht nicht. And there's a moose loose about the hoose. That's the one I've been practicing. I did find out yeah. that in Glasgow, there's a decent chance you'll be stabbed if you're there at nighttime. Um, they seem to have a stabby problem, so I'll probably be staying away from Glasgow. It's kind of scary, actually. Anyway. Uh, anyway, anyway, business community in Thailand, uh, Tuck uh, did offer them economic concessions. Yeah. If they wanted to sell agricultural or industrial equipment oh, into yeah. Vietnam or loan them money for reconstruction. Yeah, help us but, get started. Right, right. At the same time, he's warning the US officials that he's talking to if... No peace was reached with right. the French. The Viet Minh were prepared to wage a guerrilla war for at least six years. That Ooh. was their plan. So there's a carrot, then there's a stick, and as American businesses, businessmen know, a, at least a six-year-long war, got to be bad for business. Obviously, the, he knew he was talking to the American businessmen would frown upon just the idea of a war but going I, for six years. I don't know why, because I don't think they're doing any business in Vietnam, so no, it's not going to stop. Planting the seeds, you know, planting the seeds for, to me, that's why. That's the way I read it. It's like, you know, just to let you know, I know you American businessmen don't like war unless you're making, you know, armaments, but um, <laughs> except for that. But no, I, th- I think he's just saying, hey, look, there's a lot we could do together, and it'd be a real shame if this war went on for another six fucking years, and we're willing to do that. He also wondered aloud while he was talking to the Americans why the Vietnamese weren't be given weren't being given the same opportunity as the Philippines, mm-hmm. who had just been given their independence from the United States, right? Or India, yeah, which had just won its independence from the United Kingdom. Yeah. On the twentieth of February, nineteen forty-seven, Prime Minister Clement Attlee. Yeah, Addo, our man. Oh, I miss. Clemo. I miss talking about Addo. Addo right. <laughs> um, announced 
that the British government would grant full self-governance to British India by June 1948 at the latest. Right. In August of 1947, they were granted to be an independent nation within the British Commonwealth. Obviously, you do this in phases. And on July 4th, 1946, the Philippines um, gained their independence by the Treaty of Manila. So you're right. So he's like, look, it's happened to Indians, it's happened to Philippines. Why are we so different? What's so different about us? What is this part of the equation that we can't have what they have? And of course, the answer to me is either French pride and or ambition. Mm. And your communists is the main one. Ah, good point. Good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to be... See, free. the Indians, Yeah, not, not, not communists no. Uh, <laughs> no. yet. The, Philip, the Philippines, not going not communists communist. yet. Nope. Yep. Um, but you yeah, they freaking, just, you know, the Philippines yeah. just ended up with uh, dictatorship, <laughs> right-wing dictatorships. You know, that's okay. We, we can live with that. We can live with right-wing right. dictatorships. Uh, we can't live with communists. No. Because bad. we can trade. We can trade with right-wing dictatorships. Yeah, we get them. We can't trade yeah. with left-wing dictatorships or, or you know, people-friendly communist yeah. uh, parties, you know? Yeah. We can, so that's, you know, just dump the dump the communists. They go, but we're not communists. We're happy to the, be capitalists. Thank you. Mm, the great are you? irony. Are you, though? <laughs> as Why? Like, how do you prove you're not a communist to someone who's convinced you've got communist ties or you're taking direct orders from Moscow? There, This is a no-win situation for Ho. He can't prove to them that he's not communist. But anyway... Mm. Mm. But TAC certainly has their attention. Yeah. TAC and HO have the attention of the United States at this point because mm. of all these statements. Mm. Yeah, so they're not getting they're not getting any love no. uh, here. They're not getting uh, they're not getting the opportunity to have what these other uh, formal uh, formerly uh, colonialized people are getting after this period. Well, let's just do this real quick. Let's just go ahead and just say this. If Moscow started giving Ho tons of money, tons of equipment, hell, maybe he took it from Berlin, I don't know, but he started giving them factory equipment, farming equipment, he gave them money, he gave them seeds, he gave them weapons so they could defend themselves, I have no doubt that Ho would swing, because uh, Ho's a swinger, uh, he, or at least his, his government would gravitate towards a more communist influence. It's still amazing to me that the Americans haven't figured out that if they provided all those things to Ho, that he would swing their way, because we've said this ad nauseum, Ho doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care who helps him. He just wants, he just wants help. And I just still have a hard time understanding how the Americans don't figure that out, or maybe they do and they just don't want to get involved because they don't want to step on French toes. But he's, got, he's willing to work with anybody. Look, I think the stepping on French toes thing is probably part of it. Mm-hmm. But I think also part of it is they don't trust Ho. And they think, okay, well, what if we go and we give you all of these supplies ah, and money and right. blah, 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 and then you turn around and go, well, you know what? I'm a communist. Ha, <laughs> ha, yeah, you, fuck, fuck you. you. <laughs> you don't get any of it now. Right. Keeping it all. Wow. I don't That's think paranoia. They, but they yeah. yeah. They, didn't, they didn't trust him, yeah. um, as we'll see in a second. Yeah. So O'Sullivan, the American consul in Hanoi, did manage to get approval from George Marshall to meet with Tuck in Bangkok to uh, feel him up, give him a bit of a reach around, uh, cup his, cup his uh, balls, just get the feel. It's Bangkok. Get the feel for it. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. It's Bangkok, man. That's what you do in Bangkok. Um, spent many a good good time night in Bangkok, I have. Uh, and just hang out with them and see how subservient Right. They were to Moscow. But ah. before he could get there, on May 7th, Tuck suddenly left Bangkok oh. and the meeting was off. Oh, but Why? What could have been? Why would he have suddenly abandoned the idea of the meeting in May, Ray? I, I don't know. Why would Tuck miss this potentially incredible opportunity? Is there trouble at home? I don't know home? either because the, well, the, the, 
trouble at the mill. The, uh, <laughs> the, the meeting between Ho and Paul Mush didn't happen until May 12th. But uh, already on May 7th, Tuck yeah. got out of Bangkok. We don't really know oh, why. Man. But also, I think another reason, the US were pretty much happy to call it off because they were a little bit worried that the French might find out about it and would start blowing their noses in their general direction again. <laughs> right. But the conversation between the Americans and the Viet Minh didn't stop there. On May 8th, Huang Min Giam, Mm-hmm. who is the foreign minister of the DRV. Right. And considered a moderate by the Americans, formally appealed to the US for diplomatic recognition Ooh, of the DRV. Just putting it out there. Tack followed up with a second message asking for political and economic assistance from Washington. Now, I think they absolutely understood they were going to get turned down on all of these fronts. But right. they thought, well... Let's let's make it official. Yeah, you got to do we it. We will ask for it. You turn it down, then at least you can never say, "Well, you didn't ask." We're like, we asked, right, <laughs> twice, and you said no. So you know, yeah, that's that's that, really. But this does get the attention of Marshall, and maybe there is something. But Marshall, being the type of guy he was, he wants information. He wants answers. So he sends out a set group of questions to his diplomats in Paris and Saigon and Hanoi. So he says, look, what are your thoughts? Because you're the people on the ground. What are your thoughts on the Vietnamese government? To what extent is there a communist influence over its leadership? And what are Ho's real views? And how much of a role would probable militants like Chiang and Chen and Hoang, the foreign minister that you just said, I think that maybe that's a different Hoang, I apologize. Um, how much influence would they have in an independent Vietnamese government? So he's got all these questions that he wants these people to answer. And then maybe that can help him form some kind of um, uh, response or something further action he can take. Because now that this has been officially asked of the State Department of the United States, Marshall feels like he has to do something. Hmm. And what kind of a response did he get back from his guys, this, his, his core team? But see, again, this is some. This is what pisses me off because it's there. It's not based on facts. It's not based on something they can point at and go this. So Consul O'Sullivan in Hanoi answers very cautiously. He says, "Look." Um, the communist influence within the government is considerable. However, you can't just say, you can't just put them in the Soviet camp and be done with it. It's not that simple. It's, it's, not, it's a very complex issue. However, they could easily be pulled in that direction. And also, um, he also says that, uh, again, Ho's trying to get help from anybody, and he will orient his policies towards whoever the fuck helps him. But I don't think he means that in a positive way. And again, Charles Reed, the consul in Saigon, says Ho is a wily opportunist. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, he has to fucking be because he's been at this for decades. He's finally getting somewhere. Right now he's he's fighting the French. He's, He's outpowered. He's got no one helping him. So why wouldn't he be a wily opportunist? But again, I think Reed means this in a very negative way. And the ambassador, Jeffrey Caffrey, says that although the Vietnamese people in general were not sympathetic to the communist from Ho's career, there can be little doubt that he maintained close connections in communist circles. And again, he's, he has connections to the other communists within his country, but he does not have connections with Moscow. He does not have connections with Mao Zedong, and he doesn't seem to have much going on with the French communists in Paris. So this guy has got no connections, but this is the information that is being fed to Marshall, who doesn't know any different. Now, what strikes me about this conversation between all of the Americans and Marshall Ray Mm -hmm. is it isn't about what's right. It isn't about what's ethical. They're not talking about the value of human lives. They're Mm. not talking about what do we do to prevent a war that could kill millions of people. It's not about the evils of colonialism. There's no mention of the Atlantic Charter (laughs) or the role of the United Nations. It's all about, are they communists? Right. That, that's it. That's the conversation that, that the Americans are having. The end all be all. Uh, now, I think that's instructive. I think, you know, people hear me going on about America this and America that, and they get offended, and the Americans are like, fuck you, you commie. <laughs> but 
<laughs> these sorts of it's right things from history we can see. This yeah. is what the conversation between the American diplomats is. Yeah. There's no there's no discussion about ethics or values or what's right. The only thing they're talking about is are they communists or not? Right. That's it. Not Yeah. What sh- what, what what would be the right thing to do here? What's the best having way? Having the wrong conversation. Exactly. Exactly. But they're having the only conversation they care about. Now, after this Tuck went to Europe and met with the French Communist Party. Right. They, he's basically asking for help. They just basically pat him on the head. He said, good boy, off you go. Keep, right. Keep up the good work. Doing a great job. Um, <laughs> he said, you going to help us? No. Mm. No, nothing we can really do. But Actually, they weren't, the, the, yeah. they weren't even in the the government right. uh, coalition at that stage. Did you? And when they had been, yeah. they'd done fuck all. Did you read about when Tark got to finally talk to some Soviet of rank, he got to talk to the ambassador of Switzerland, I believe. I'm just going off memory. No, he got to speak to the Soviet ambassador in Switzerland. Switzerland. Okay, I'm sorry. I apologize. But Why would he talk to the ambassador of Switzerland if he wanted to talk no, to the Soviets? No, he would, I, was, I, I was wrong. So the point is he's in Europe. He's talking to all these different groups. And he finally gets to talk to a Soviet ambassador. He's like, can I maybe go to Moscow and we can continue this conversation? And like you've been saying before, no, the answer was like, no, it ends here. And we're not able or willing to help you. So so he tries it with the American businessman. He goes to Europe and all he is hearing are very nice no's. Yeah. So they're getting nowhere. So on one hand, the Americans think he's in the pocket of Moscow. Right. On the other hand, they can't even get a meeting in Moscow. <laughs> no one will even talk to them. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. <sighs> Meanwhile, the French Minister of War, uh, Paul Costet, Flore, Paul Costa Flore, mm-hmm. the um, Costa Flore, expensive flower, I think that was his name. <laughs> right. Um, had just completed an inspection tour of Indochina where he declared, uh-huh. when he got back to Paris, there is no more military problem in Indochina. The success of our arms is complete. Huh. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Now, where's my flight the war suit that emphasizes in Vietnam my testicles? Is over. Yes. In 1947. Yes. It's all good. Everyone go home. <laughs> Nothing to see here. It's done. Thank you. We Everyone. did it. Good night. And God bless. <laughs> Dropped the mic, walked off stage. <laughs> With a swagger. Yeah. Now, he's not, we'll go into this in a minute, but he's not completely wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he's completely wrong. <laughs> No, because the point I wanted to make was when the war first gets going, you know, you have the surprise attack where, um, was it Valier who was hurt in the armored car? I can't remember who. But after like the first 24 hours of the first phases, you know, the French are able to bring their military might to bear. And they're, they're, they're pushing the Vietnamese around when they can catch them because these guys are pretty mobile. And we'll go into all this. But the point is they have been doing a decent job of pushing the Vietnamese around or pushing them off certain roads and that kind of stuff. So I'm not surprised this guy said that, but it certainly isn't a very investigative report, investigative report that he's giving back to Paris. Well, it was Santillon. Santillon, was, there we go. Uh, Thank you. In the, in the bomb. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, they, they, on the surface of things, they think right. they're doing a good job Bang because it. they don't understand <laughs> the Viet Minh's strategy. Right. They're like, look, they're, they're running away. We've yeah. won. <laughs> no, no, they're not running away. No, that's Star They Wars are movies. going underground. Right, right. <laughs> it's a very big difference between running away <laughs> And going underground. Yeah. Where they will come and get you. He didn't understand the tiger and the elephant, even though Ho had already been telling American journalists, well, here's what we're gonna do. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna be like tigers. No one's listening. Like like no one read Mein Camp. And they were like, What? Hitler doesn't like Jews. Who could right. see that coming? Everybody could see that coming. If you'd read his fucking book, you right. could see that coming. He wasn't 
pretending he wasn't keeping it a big secret. Yeah. Page one. <laughs> but line one of Mein Kampf was, I fucking hate Jews. Everything's their fault. I want to kill a lot of them. Everything's their fault. Yeah, that yeah. was line one of Mein yeah. Kampf. Line two was C line like, oh, one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 But wow, so- I'm so surprised. <laughs> but here's the point I want to make. Since the Minister of War makes this report back in Paris, it does affect Bouliat, or however you say his name, the new high commissioner. So he actually steps back and he goes, you know what? Thank you for reminding me. The Viet Minh are not the only representatives of these people. There are many groups. They're just the ones that are giving us the big pain, the big pain right now. So he says, um, maybe it would be better if I could talk to some of the other groups um, and maybe we can bring about change through other groups. We don't have to focus so much on the Viet Minh. Yes. So he started to contact other Vietnamese nationalist groups, mm-hmm. keeping in mind here that the French kind of realized that to keep the Americans happy, they need to be looking like they're making <laughs> an effort to deal with the people. Right. Look, we're talking. They just don't want to deal. They just know they're not going to get anywhere with Ho. Right. Because Ho's like, are you going to give us our, our independence? No. Yeah. Well, fuck, fuck. fuck off then. So what do you waste? Don't. Don't waste my time. i got mosquitoes to catch. Don't wake me up at 3 a.m. Because that's all I've got. Yeah, that's right. Um, So he starts to reach out to other people's Bollywood. Now, back in France, as I said before, the Communist Party is no longer uh, part of the governing coalition. So the new Prime Minister of France, Romadier, needs the support of the Conservatives in the government in order for his coalition to stay in office. Right. So in order to keep them on side, he turns to General Valui ah, in Indochina right. and says, all right, uh, what are you going to do to – what's your plan? Obviously, we can't, we can't make peace with Ho Chi Minh and right. the Viet Minh because they won't surrender. And that's the terms of our peace negotiation. That's our, you know, that's yeah. our approach to peace negotiations is give in. <laughs> um, what, what's your plan? Val Wee says, I'm going to kick their fucking ass because right. I am a boss, complete boss. <laughs> I'm all out of bubble gum. And now it's time to kick ass. And, and I think at this point, and again, I have, I have a little bit of problem with this, but Valouie really believes at this point that Ho no longer wants peace. When we've mentioned the 2,000 emails he sent to, uh, to the president, to, the, to Paris, trying to get someone to talk to him. And, he, and Valouie thinks that the only solution at this point is, like you said, I'm going to be a military one. So, like, let, let's, let's quit hedging our bets. Let's quit tiptoeing around this. If it's going to take a military solution to do it, let's fucking gear up and get the job done. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Love that movie. Fucking love that movie. Oh, God, I haven't seen that oh, in years. I watched it last um, year. Yeah. Who knew Roddy Piper? Is, I don't know. If- yeah. Roddy, yeah, I'm. I'm not sure if there's any uh, truth to this, but I did hear once that he ad libbed that line. Oh, that um, would be there must badass. have been a line in the script, though. So Something like I, that. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. But apparently, yeah, he ad libbed that line. Fucking classic. Wow, movie. great. Yeah, great and it's and it still holds up. I mean, the message in the movie. Oh yeah, fucking still holds. Yeah, up. yeah. Just just yeah, take out yeah, aliens and put now. in one percent. Same fucking thing. Same fucking thing. Well, I think that was the whole idea of the film in the first place. Right. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, is a metaphor for the 1%, Ray. Gotcha. Went over your head. Yeah, no. Um, now, Val Wee thinks he's going to win. Now, look, you indicated before that you can understand why the French may have thought that. It's easy for us to point and laugh at them. Right. A, because they're French, and B, because... <laughs> B, because we have the benefit of right. hindsight. Right. We know what the Viet Minh were up to. They didn't know. Nobody could know, True. apart from anyone who actually read an interview <laughs> with Ho Chi Minh um, at the time. And fuck, who's got time to read? Um, so 
But the Vietnamese military did have a ton of problems at this stage. They had really struggled to maintain cohesion in the opening stages, the Battle of Hanoi, that kind of stuff, which is what you would expect from a ragtag bunch of amateurs. Let's keep in mind that... Ziap had no experience. Right. He wasn't a he wasn't a fucking trained soldier, yeah, general, military strategist. He was a school teacher, right. Right? right? Ho never done a fucking day's work in his life. <laughs> he's he's a he's a commie philosopher, <laughs> bum. Um None of them have got any military experience or training. Right. And, of course, none of the troops had been to military academy no. or, or, or fought, fought whatever. No. What's the what's the Fort, Fort Bragg? They haven't been <laughs> to Fort Bragg. No. The closest they've come um, is They hunting. haven't even been to the yeah. They haven't even been to the Echole Polytechnique. Exactly. As uh, <coughs> one character who'll come up in the next episode or two had been one of the Vietnamese um, on the wrong side. But uh, so they so of course it's going to be a fucking clusterfuck. Right. Of course it is. Yeah. They, they, you know they they didn't have. They didn't have any sort of cohesion. They didn't have any good weapons. Some of them were overly aggressive. Some units were overused. There was heavy casualties. Right. People were running around, shooting at each other, um, curling up in the corner, crying. That's I mean, me. it was it was like yeah, Tuesday night at your house. <laughs> so it was it was it was a clusterfuck. Right. And whenever they uh, whenever they did try to use traditional tactics, they got their ass handed to them by the. Uh, by the French because they got the, uh, their firepower. So yeah, so like you said, so like when a new government is formed, it's got to feel its way and get the right kind of balance. Same thing for these guys. They've got to learn what they can do, what's within their limits of communication and weapons, and they're still figuring it out. And yeah, they're suffering some serious casualties trying to figure this out. You know, they they can't do a stand up battle against the right. French. A, the French have got better weapons. The Vietnamese have still got secondhand weapons. They managed to steal off the Japanese or off the French. Yeah. Um, they're manufacturing their own weapons in places. Wow. Uh, they don't know how to use the weapons, half of them, when they've got it. They don't have ammunition for the weapons. Yeah. So, yes, it, it's not a great start. But also, this is when they realise that they need to become better at guerrilla warfare. Yeah. They need to... They need to change their tactics. They can't go toe-to-toe, head-to-head with the French. They're just not ready for that. They need to, they need to disappear into the mountains and, and figure out what the guerrilla tactics are going to be. Secondly, they, and there was no manual. I mean, right. Che Guevara, 20 years later, right. wrote a manual on, on guerrilla warfare uh, and guerrilla tactics. But, it, you know, you couldn't go and get that. Now, Ho spent right. a lot of time on Amazon looking for a guide <laughs> to military tactics. Could download onto his iPhone and and read at night right. up there in the jungles under his powering it with a mosquito net. Yeah, trap. Mosquito. <laughs> yeah, typewriter. That's what I need. Like uh, every time, like one of those mosquito fly zappers. <laughs> but every time it zaps a fly or a mosquito, yeah. sends a little bit of electric, converts that into electricity. <laughs> This goes down and powers your iPhone. Oh, I'd be able to run my iPhone for free forever. Somebody invent that. Get on that. Chop, chop. Kids listening. Right. Not doing anything else. That's a bit racist. Chop, chop. Right? <laughs> a bit racist. Sorry. Jesus Christ, I'm right? Sorry. Jesus. I normally don't win sympathy awards. I, I apologize. No, that's the only award you win is the sympathy <laughs> award. I'll take it. There's no pride here. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We've well established <laughs> that well and truly over the years. So uh, they and they were struggling to get the peasants mobilised. They're going, "Hey, go and let the French shoot you!" And the peasants are like, "What? Are you kidding me? No." <laughs> yeah, um, which I I kind of understand. I'd be like, I'd be one of those peasants. Yeah. I listen. I would uh, go out and fight the French with a sharpened bamboo yeah. stick, Arr, but I just but, realised. Yeah. I left I left the gas on back home. Well, you don't even have any gas. You live in a fucking bamboo hut. Well, the switch is something on. like that. If, um, if I get gas, it could be very yeah. dangerous. We we've drawn a picture of gas <laughs> on the wall. Um, I think and I left that. On. I think I left the mosquito net open. I I gotta go close that guys before it gets in my well, sleeping we, mat. Will be horrible. We fart into a bag. <laughs> 
capture our farts and try and ignite that to boil water for our rice. I mean, wow. come on. This is the way people wow. have done it since time. I did not know immemorial. that. I did immemorial? not know that. Memorial? Immemorial. Memorial. Um, yeah, look, look if, you're a, if you're a Vietnamese villager, going up against the French has got to be a suicide mission. I'm right. sure if you put yourself in the shoes of a peasant in the, the mountains of Vietnam in 1947, mm-hmm. on one hand, you hate the French because they treat you like shit, but on the other hand, you've got to be thinking to yourself, well, look, what's the point of fighting these guys? They're going to win. Right. I'll be dead and in seconds. And nothing's, nothing's going to change. Yeah. So what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. yeah th- well, I'll be dead or, you know, I'll, I'll be shot in the leg or something. Like, what's the point of fo- – you can't fight the French. They've been here for 100 years. They're, they're, they're massively more powerful than us. They've got more guns. The, the Americans are probably backing them. Um, no, this yeah. is a suicide mission. They, again, the peasants don't have the, the hindsight that we have to know. Actually, Ho's got a plan here. Yeah. It's going to take 30 years, but he's got a plan. Right. So just hang in there. Yeah. You may not live to see it, but your grandchildren oh. will be capital. Will, yeah. will end up They're gonna love it. capitalists. Yes. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> no, kind of. Yeah. Hey. A Vietnamese would walk up to a village and go, does anyone here know what the word attrition means? No? Good. Okay, I'm looking for some volunteers. Who's with me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, but, but as Tuck was telling the Americans, they were prepared to fight for six years. I don't think any of them thought it was going to be 30 years. Right. They had a, a six-year plan to wear the French down and kick them out, and they were pretty successful yeah. in doing that, actually. The timeline wasn't bad. They pretty much destroyed the French in six or seven years. Damn. What they didn't foresee is that the Americans would then go, somebody hold my beer. Um, <laughs> it's my turn. Tag me in. Tag me it, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tag me in. Let, <laughs> let me show you how it's done, son. son. Jesus Christ. Jesus oh, Christ on a stick. Oppressing poor third world peasants. <laughs> Let us in there. The reigning champion, the Americans. Anyway, yeah. So, so, so some, I'm sure some of the locals helped. Many of them did not. So, again, this is just another example that Ho and his ragtag ar- army have got to deal with. They don't have the volunteers they were really hoping for. But you do the best you can with what you've got. So, jean Valouis decided that the best approach yeah. was to do a direct assault on Ho's headquarters. Fucking A. Or Ho, Ho quarters. <laughs> his Ho quarters up in the mountains in Viet Bac, north of Hanoi. <laughs> right. He was going to direct assault, seize Ho Chi Minh, slap, slap him in chains. <laughs> right. Hoist him up. Uh destroy his rebel force yeah and then resume negotiations basically it sounds right he he basically saw himself as emperor palpatine right um and he well, actually he was darth vader wiped them out they were just going to yeah. St- yeah storm the rebel base right uh, and destroy them and then then they would resume <laughs> negotiations Oh, oh, you want to talk? Sure. Now we can talk. What do you want to talk about? Nothing? Hmm, funny that. Because you're all dead. Right. I have, those of you that are still alive, I have your testicles in my hands. Now we can negotiate. But see, it wasn't only that. So he's got this plan for balls-to-the-wall military action. But at the same time, if the French had a magic wand and they could have one wish, and, and other than a military victory or the Viet Minh, it would be that... Ho wasn't as popular 
as he is, as far as the people supporting him. So while they're gearing up for this battle, that they're going to crush these guys, maybe they can work to undermine Ho's popularity. Maybe they can exert some political pressure uh, to make the Viet Minh unpopular and weaken the enthusiasm of the Vietnamese who want to drive the French out. So we're going to gear up for a military, but at the same time, let's see if we can undermine his popularity base, which would only help us once the firing starts. Now, one of the problems that, Val, we had with this uh, idea of a direct assault is he felt like he needed more troops. Right. If you're going to do this, direct attack, you need to have numbers on your side. Yeah. So it's not enough to have the most guns and the most ammunition and the best guns. Right. And (laughs) the healthiest people because, you know, they've been eating breadsticks and cheese. Yeah, how healthy. A big, heavy, heavy carb diet, a lot of cream, (laughs) a lot of pasta. Right. A lot of frog's legs. Probably got the runs. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of mime practice. They were were practicing mime (laughs) in the French headquarters. Um. That's our exercise regimen. Look, a wall. Yeah. I'm trapped. And they were fast. They were fast, the French, too, because they got a lot of practice running away <laughs> from the Nazis a few years earlier. So Very good. At- they're swift. They're swift. They're like, well, all that practice we had running away, turn around now and run <laughs> towards. Look, yes, we ran away from the Nazis because the Nazis actually tough. had guns. Yeah. These guys don't have shit. Sticks. You know, we can, you can look brave now. Yeah, because right. these guys have got sharpened sticks and they're living, they're skinny and they're starving. Come on, right. this is when the French really them. rise to the occasion. Right. I mean, you're take- fighting a weak, <laughs> famine ravaged, stick pointy people. Yeah, in the jungle. Oh, yeah, that's when the French really <laughs> rise the to the occasion. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he wanted to raise his troop levels to over 100,000 uh, in order to compensate for his natural disadvantage of having the best guns, the most <laughs> guns, the most ammunition, and the healthiest troops. Tanks, planes, troop carriers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, you, you know, a war is not won with those things alone, right? If I could You've got to have people. 120,000. To, uh, to hold the guns. Right, 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 yeah. No, he, he needs that many um, he was a, because he's got a plan. He was a Go brilliant ahead. strategist, Val Wee. Brilliant strategist. He goes, listen, look, I understand. We are we are in, you know, we're, this is a tricky situation here. Yes. But I have studied the campaigns of Napoleon. <laughs> right. I think I've got it. And I have realized yeah. that uh, just give me more of everything than the other guy has, and I might be able to pull this one out. <laughs> I've studied the campaigns of Alexander, and I've studied the campaigns of Napoleon in the early days, and I've studied the campaigns of Julius Caesar and Agrippa and uh, I have concluded, fuck that, too hard, just give me lots of people. Yeah, thanks I, very much. I, Can I have them by Tuesday? That'd be great. I, thought, I really thought you were going to say, I studied Alexander the Great, who was always outnumbered, realized I am no Alexander the Great, so I would love 100,000 <laughs> yeah. men, please. Thank you very much. Yeah, I yeah. know my limitations. Yeah, I studied Alexander... I read my Aryan and I realized, yeah, I thought that good. No, and that, really. And that no. whole thing about running at the enemy directly, <laughs> about their king, just fucking run up and kill their king. Worked for Alexander, but I yeah. don't think I can. <laughs> That's not well, me. Well, he is going to do that. Is he? he is trying to do that. He's trying oh, to catch true. a hoe. That's true. But not it. That's but true. not himself. No. Alexander did it himself. Over there. Alexander just walked. <laughs> Alexander walked up to Darius's <laughs> elephant with a spear. Right. He goes, "Hey, hey, yeah. oh, over here, Darius. See this? Hey, catch, motherfucker!" <laughs> Threw a spear at him. Uh, Valwi is like, "Well, I agree with the basic approach, right. but but I would rather do it by parachuting in a hundred thousand men, if that's right. okay with you." Right. Um, I'll stand over here. <laughs> And I'll look and serious. And be in radio contact. Right, with. right. Now, how much many? Oh, okay. Now, he didn't get the people that he wanted. Why? Now, it wasn't because the French public didn't want to send it to him. They, they yeah. didn't give a shit. Yeah. French public, uh, as, as we've talked about before, look, the French public, um, 
probably didn't know what was going on. Right. They didn't have any true sense. They were getting propagandized, like the Americans get propagandized yeah. constantly. Everybody does about all oh, these guys. All these guys. Yes, these are the bad guys. We're the good guys. The French were getting the same thing from their government, from their media. Right. Oh, the Vietnamese, like some stupid fucker on our Life of Caesar Facebook page the other day. Um, obviously doesn't listen to the show, so I can badmouth him, Tom something. I posted a photo of Ho Chi Minh with a watering can, watering his fucking tomatoes. Yes. And uh, he goes, oh, mass murderer. Like, oh, you fucking dipshit. <laughs> you but don't somebody, know the story. Somebody else weighed in and somebody else weighed in. Josh, jo- Joss, Joss, somebody, whoever you are, thank you for that. Save me the trouble. Somebody weighed in and said, you obviously haven't listened to the show. <laughs> um, it was like, all right, go, Joss. Nice work, nice. Joss. Um, yeah, so, uh, but the French were getting that same sort of thing. Oh, the Vietnamese are mass murderers. Ho Chi Minh's a mass murderer. Um, our guys are the good guys. They're just trying. They're fighting a defensive action. They're just right. trying to protect them. Vast majority of Vietnamese love the French. Can't get enough of French colonialism. <laughs> love it. Greatest thing it's. They, look, his. They wish his, they were uh, French. You know, yeah. His tack long knock saying, <laughs> "Oh, fucking, you know, love the French." Best thing that ever happened to us was the day the French came. <laughs> I tell my children every day, oh, you wouldn't believe yeah. what a fucking mess this place was before the Bow French. down. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the French public didn't mind. To them, it was no big deal. They were, quite frankly, just happy that they didn't have Nazis goose-stepping yeah. down the Champs-Élysées. They're happy now. That was, everything else was, was <laughs> Secondary. not really important. Right, right. But the French government couldn't send Val the full contingent that he wanted, because they had other problems. Yeah. Um, what were there other problems going on in 1947, Ray? I think I know what you're going to say. I think our cycles have synced by this time, so let me set it up and see if I'm right. So there's also a revolt, a revolution, a desire for independence in Madagascar, just off the African coast. And just just to give you a background, just to give you context, the rebellion in Madagascar is going to go on from March 1947 to February of 1949. So again, um, they're, they're dealing with this over there. So tell me if this sounds familiar to everybody. Starting in late 1945... Several of the Madagascar's first French National Assembly deputies got together and tried to lead an effort to achieve independence for Madagascar through legal channels. All right, good for them. Not unlike Ho Chi Minh sending a whole bunch of emails saying, look, we just want to be independent, uh, but we'll still work with you, whatever. But the Prime Minister, Socialist Romadier, that you mentioned earlier, his administration cracked down so hard on their attempts for independence, that they ended up radicalizing certain elements of the island. So even some some secret uh, militant uh, nationalist societies. And this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll let you take let you take it over. On the evening of March 29th, 1947, there were several coordinated surprise attacks by the nationalists, mostly armed with spears, against French military bases, French-owned plantations in the eastern part of the island. Their cause was quickly uh, taken up by people in the south, and it spread to the central highlands and to the capital. So within a very short time, roughly over one million people on this island had become guerrilla fighters because the French had smacked down so hard on their legal attempt to achieve independence. And so the French are going to end up sending a heck of a lot more troops to this island. And because of that, they're not able to give uh, the French in Vietnam all the troops that they want because they've got these dual rebellions going on at the same time. Now, Ray, what was the American position on the, the Malagasy uprising in Madagascar? Ooh, I honestly don't know, but let me take a guess because they're darker than the Viet Minh. I imagine it was even worse. No, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, uh, as far as I can tell, they didn't have one. Wow. Um, wow. Now, 
you know, we, we, we've said that uh, the Americans were against the uh, independence of the Vietnamese because of Ho Chi Minh's uh, right. supposed connections to the communists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Were the, were, the, were the people of Madagascar connected to the communists? Nope. So... Right. Why, were they why, Christians? Why could... No, sorry, go uh, Nope. <laughs> okay. Nope. So... Just checking. Were they white? Nope. nope. So apparently, you know, we've heard a lot about uh, the Vietnamese, but... Yeah, no one gave a fuck about French colonialism in a little island off the coast of Africa oh, because they were all darkies. Right. And this is 1947. Right. America still had segregation in half the country. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're not really going to be taking a position on the independence of Africans. <sighs> now, why? what the fuck were the French doing in Madagascar, I hear you ask? <laughs> Good question. I'm glad you asked that. Thank you. Let me tell you the story of French Madagascar. Can can you give it a happy Disney ending? (laughs) No? Sorry. Sorry. Well, a lot of of French got killed, so there's that. That's about as happy as I can make it. All right. Eventually. Go ahead. France invaded Madagascar in 1883. Mm -hmm. Why, I hear you ask? Well... It had to do with eating toxic nuts. Now, Ray, you've had some toxic nuts in your time. In my mouth, absolutely. Uh, but are you familiar, in your mouth, yeah. are you familiar with Tangina nuts? Tangines uh, nuts? I know a gene. No, I don't know. Please tell me. Jeans <laughs> nuts, were they tanned? Jeans nuts? <laughs> were, Did he, which uh, was odd. You know, but uh, it's his personal Tastes choice. like coconut oil. <laughs> it's <laughs> it like did. Donald Trump's face. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what's up with the orange nuts, Gene? <laughs> I thought that oh, would make know. it taste better. I was wrong. <laughs> Toasty. Toasted. <laughs> Toasted uh, nuts. It's like that Don Draper line. Don Draper line from the first season of Mad Men. Um, Cigarettes. What was the... Yeah, who was the who was the cigarette company? Because we were there, we were at that fucking yeah. cigarette company in oh, Durham. Fuck. Who was that? Fuck! Uh, um, I got a photo of the cigarette packet that I took. Um, Don Draper cigarettes, Durham. Um, uh, fucking, we were right that? there in the uh, office in the chimney, the smokestack with the name on the fucking chimney, and I can't remember. It. Lucky strike! Lucky, there we go. Lucky strike! Good man. Good man. That was so fucking awesome. We were yeah. at the Lucky Strike offices. Hanging out. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he said, Lucky Strike, they're toasted. So that was the same as Gene's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the world is connected, my friend. The world is connected. Oh, fucking hell. Why? So what is any- wrong with us? Anyway, <laughs> let me tell this story. <laughs> Tangina nuts. Now, in Madagascar, in the early 19th century, anyone accused of a crime, including the crime of being a Christian, which had been prohibited by Queen Ranavalona I, um, also Ranavalona, the name of uh, a a female Time Lord companion, (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Who, who travelled with uh, the fourth Doctor, um, Queen Ranavalona I would have to ingest poison from Tangina nuts to prove their innocence in a trial God. by ordeal. Wow. Okay. Basically, what happened was people would accuse you of a crime and you would have to do this trial by ordeal to prove your innocence. Now, part of it was eating these poisoned nuts. But mm. but the, the people of Madagascar, their belief in this trial was so complete right. that they would go, fuck yes, bring on the nuts. I'm innocent. <laughs> Give them to me. Let me eat it. Um, 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 um. They obviously had no concept of poison. Wow. And so there was this whole spiritual uh, ritual around the eating of the nuts. They go, well, nuts are good. I've had nuts. Yeah. You know, I've had cashews. I've had almonds. I've had pecans. I've had walnuts. I've had jeans nuts. (laughs) I mean, 
okay, they're a little bit he cheated tanned, on but that's right, okay. Right. Nuts are good. Nuts right. are good for you. Good, good, you know, uh, yeah. fiber. There's right. there's fat. Semen. In, in, uh, got high in calorie, but that's okay because right. it's mostly fat. Fat's yeah. good for you. Yeah, yeah. We now know that. Uh, bring on the nuts. So you would you would be fed the nuts along with three pieces of chicken skin. Ooh. If you vomited up all three pieces of skin, God. then you were declared innocent. I'd rather have Christianity. But sorry, go ahead. If you if you died, yeah, they decided you were guilty. <laughs> Not that it mattered. I say we bring this back. <laughs> uh, we bring this back for. Politicians right. accused of lying and billionaires. So listen, yeah. trial by ordeal. Maybe you're innocent. Just eat this poison and some chicken skin. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Um, I, they go. Well, I that's just that. that's just a dumb. That's a silly myth. They go. Really? Are you a Christian? Yeah. Okay. Shut up. And eat the fucking poison. <laughs> um, you don't have any. You don't have any grounds exactly. to criticize this as being ridiculous, right? If you're a Christian, <laughs> just sit there. One crazy myth is good as another. Now about they estimate uh, modern historians that about between 20 to 50% of the people who went through the trial by ordeal died. Oh my god. It, it's estimated that 2% of the population died each year from eating the nuts, about 30,000 people. Damn. Annually over the course of Damn. Queen Ramalama Ding Dong's um, <laughs> government, she she ruled for thirty three years. Her oh husband died when he was quite young, and she just she just took over. Said, "Fucking, I can do this." The nut queen. Hold my beer. Right. Somebody give somebody give me some poisoned nuts. Um, they reckon about a hundred thousand people died over the course of her reign That's from eating sad. poisoned Aww. nuts. Tribal ordeal. Right now. By making Christianity illegal, she was trying to drive most of the foreigners off the island because in the early oh. 19th century, the British and the French in particular had started to come in. They were trading. They were trying to use their money and their gunboat diplomacy to take control of Madagascar and its natural resources. Mm-hmm. So she just made Christianity illegal to try and get rid of them. But there was one Frenchman in particular who stayed, Joseph Francois Lambert. Mm-hmm. He was a slave trader, so you knew he was good people. Right. And he stuck around God. and did a deal with the Queen's son, Prince Rakoto. Mm-hmm. Now, basically, he did the secret deal with Rakoto that said if uh, Rakoto. Uh, became the king, if his mother died or got kicked out, Lambert would have the rights to exploit all natural resources in the country. All of the minerals, all of the forests, all of the unoccupied land, in exchange for a 10% royalty to be payable to the monarchy, a.k.a. King Rokoto. Right. After his mother was gone. Um, Now... This is known as the Lambert Charter, mm. or sounds to me like a bribe, but we <laughs> the French call it a sure. charter. Make it official. Mm. So Lambert had this document from Prince Ricotto, and he went to London, he went to Paris, tried to get help from those governments to overthrow Queen Ramadama Ding Dong and, and replace her with her son, Rococo. But he couldn't get any support, perhaps right. surprisingly. Uh, they had their own problems at the time. They, you know, they just had finished defeating Napoleon and they were trying to rebuild Europe and all this kind of stuff. They were busy conquering other parts of Africa um, and fighting colonial wars and all this kind of jazz. So right. uh, he, he decided to go back to Madagascar in 1857 and implement a coup Himself, damn. Okay, get rid of the old, get rid of the old lady. Make the kid the king. King then gives me Break it in. all their shit. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, it failed. Uh, his coup. Most of his troops were killed, as were the locals who supported him. And Lambert mm. managed to escape. Was banished from the island along with some other Europeans that were involved. Surprisingly and unfortunately. 
Queen Ramalama Ding Dong didn't have her son killed, should have had him executed yeah. for his role in step it. Step one. Mm. Cut a hole in the box. <laughs> step two, have your son executed. Right, exactly. Now, um, after her death a few years later in 1861, aged 82, Prince Rokoto uh, succeeded to the throne, became King Radama II. Lambert was able to go back to Madagascar. The new king confirmed the agreement and made him a duke. Right. So Lambert founded the Compagnie de Madagascar in Paris as a joint stock company, was given special privileges in Madagascar, including not only the ability to mine all the minerals, cut down all the trees, et cetera, et cetera. He had control over all public works projects. God damn. Building roads, building canals, minting coinage, um, and exclusivity on the mining rights. He's basically built the 19th century version of Halliburton. Right. Yeah. God. Um, mm-hmm. However, unfortunately... The people weren't very happy about getting raped. No. Um, yeah. Because the agreement also gave Lambert's company the legal ownership of all Malagasy lands, permanent ownership of all of their lands that were unoccupied. Now, up until this point, the, the locals, the native population, viewed the land as sacred ground of that 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 come down to them from their ancestors right. very much like uh indigenous populations did all around the world yeah. like the the native americans did the the indigenous australians did they they see this as sacred ground um can't be owned by a foreigner sure. so the people rose up and king king radama was assassinated Ooh. In 1863, mm. two years after seating <laughs> his mother to the throne, awesome. he gets assassinated. Right. Lambert gets uh, kicked out of the country again. The new king and queen, Queen Rasha Harina, and Prime Minister Rainivoni Nihatrinioni. Sure. Just Rainy Prince. <laughs> Can we call you Rainy? Rain yeah, man. that's fine. Yeah. All right, Rainy. All right. Um, they actually didn't kick him out. They, they sought to renegotiate the charter. They're like, all right, you've got a real charter. It's fucking ridiculous, but you've got it. We're right. going to do the right thing and renegotiate it with you. Um, the French, Lambert and the French government said, fuck you. We've got it in writing. We don't care how corrupt it is. We've got yeah. it. It's ours. Give us our shit. God. Um, and so that all broke down into tensions. Lambert left the island in 1865, moved to the Comoro Islands, a little bit north of Madagascar, where he ruled as regent oh God. for the next few years yeah. oh my until God. he died in 1875. But France didn't give up. Even after Lambert died, in 1883, they invaded Madagascar Right. And declared it to be a colony in 1885 or 6, whatever I said before. 1883, no, 1883 yeah. 1883, mm-hmm. they invaded and made it a French colony, all due to this dodgy fucking corrupt document that right. Lambert got the kid to sign um, in return for supporting him with a coup. That's bullshit. Yeah. They don't care. So that's why the French were in Madagascar. Now, on the evening of the 29th of March, 1947, coordinated surprise attacks launched by the Malagasy nationalists, mm-hmm. who were, again, like the Viet Minh, armed mainly with spears. Oh, God. They attacked French military bases, French-owned plantations across the island. Within a month, they had a Malagasy army a million people strong. Mm. The French tripled the number of their troops to 18,000, primarily by transferring French troops that were stationed in other parts of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and they decided to engage the French, this is, in terror tactics to try and demoralise the population. The French carried out mass executions, torture, rape, Torched entire villages. Right. 
um, did collective punishment where they would just grab entire villages and execute them in return in punishment for one of them supporting or a couple of them supporting the uh, revolution. They they had a thing called death flights mm. where they would take Malagasy prisoners up into an aeroplane and throw them out of the aeroplane alive. Fuck. Fuck. Now, the Americans saw all of this and went, oh, that's very interesting. We are, yeah, let's... Uh, Let's, can you give us a guide to that? Because uh, when we get to Vietnam a few years from now, could come in handy. Oh, my uh, God. Mass, execu- mass executions, torching entire villages. That yeah. sounds good. Yeah, me, there's a place called My Lai that we think that would be very handy. Yeah. Um, according to the French government's own official estimate, they killed 89,000 Malag- oh Madagascarians right. during this. In 1949, the High Commissioner of Madagascar um, said, actually, uh, he reckons the the total number of dead Madagascarians was more like 100,000. Yeah. Now, this is going on, 1947, 1948, and Truman and Marshall are still supporting the French to take back colonial control over Vietnam and aren't having anything to say on the treatment of the people of Madagascar. (sighs) Fuck. So that is why the French wouldn't commit the full number of troops that Mm. Valwe considered necessary to storm Ho Chi Minh's compound because they were busy throwing (laughs) Africans out of aeroplanes. Right. But they're going to try anyways. They're going to try anyways. So there's that. Yeah. In the next episode, I'll be talking about what the French did in Algiers, but we'll leave that (laughs) to the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. That's uh, that's the show. Yeah. That's the show. Back next time. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.